Hello and welcome. We made it. We made it through January and here we are. Well and truly in February, in fact, well past halfway point and uh, I don't know how we made it. I really don't. January seemed to drag on for about seven years and February, well, I seem to have blinked and it's almost gone. So I didn't mean, I meant to have another podcast out within a week, but it only feels like weeks since I did the last one. Um, but I've been keeping busy with uh, other people's lives. Yeah, getting really delved into other people's business. Uh, it's okay, it's nobody around here, it's nobody I know, it's just uh, the rich and famous. The first documentary I got involved in was uh, the Tiger documentary, the Tiger Woods documentary, which I watched on Now TV and Sky Documentaries. I'll leave all the notes in the show notes. Um, I am, hands up, I am not the biggest golf fan. In fact, I am somebody who just gets involved in sports, mainly for patriotic reasons other than anything else or social reasons. I usually get involved once every four years with either a World Cup or the Olympics. But Tiger Woods is such a phenomenal player. He is in everybody's sphere and everybody's world. And I think especially with the events that happened in 2010, I think, is that when his world seemed to go a little bit out of control. Um, He was in everybody's life. He became part of popular, popular culture. Uh, Tiger is a fascinating documentary and I think it actually benefits from the fact that Tiger himself is not involved. I've seen a few uh, documentaries where the participant, like Paris Hilton, which seemed to conveniently leave out quite a, hell, a lot of truths, and um, the Michael Jordan documentary, where they're very, very heavily involved, you're getting very one-sided part of the person's life. This in this documentary, they have huge access to the people involved in Tiger's life, from um, teenage sweethearts to ex-partners to his caddy, who he was with for fourteen years, ex-managers, um, people who were in that circle and in that entourage as close as you can possibly be to the person. These people would have been, in many cases, closer than family members. Actually, I think there's an odd cousin who pops up in this as well. So the extended family and people who are really, were really part of his circle. What's fascinating about this for me is I'm fascinated by people who have drive and ambition and when they will do anything to succeed. And Tiger's ambitions, or at least that of his parents, were not the norm and we're not from the outset. We see Tiger, that very famous footage of Tiger as a two-year-old going on TV in the States and um, playing golf and just showing the prodigy that he was. But it also makes you wonder was, and we asked this about the Williams sisters as well, just how much of this was what the child wanted or was this entirely mapped out for him? And certainly, judging by his father, Earl, a lot of it was his future was set in stone. And it was no small ambition. He didn't just want to be the best golfer of his generation. He wanted to be the best ever. It's a hell of a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And I think that's what makes this fascinating, is just how much you are willing to sacrifice 
just to do this. And my God, has he sacrificed it. And we saw all of that happen in what happened to him in 2010. Um, it also delves into things that I've forgotten about, like race issues. Tiger was the first black golfer to win um, so many of these Grand Slams. But he won in Atlanta when I think it was only something like a period of six years when Atlanta had lifted a ban on black people playing on that course. I mean, what the hell? This was around, what, what was it, 95, 96? We're not talking about a million years ago. So the race issues and the conversations that he brought up, and Nike used this to their advantage, but I don't think Tiger necessarily wanted this. He wasn't entirely comfortable with this being the narrative around his playing, and it's interesting to see how far we have come with that now. But what it does focus, the documentary goes on to focus on is the fallout of what happened to Tiger um, and how he kept his life together for so many years. And then the behaviour of his father and then the untimely death of his father. And it was after that his life really seemed to go out of control. And the pain he was carrying as well. He was carrying a huge amount of injuries and he was playing through that pain which again goes on to just see the phenomenal ambition. I mean, you know, there's very few people who play at any level in life that off the Roger Federer's, the uh, Tiger Woods, the A.P. McCoy's, another fascinating documentary, which I saw a few years ago of A.P. McCoy, just the pain that you were willing to drive yourself through. But the selfishness and the selflessness of what goes into this is is interesting to see, but something I wouldn't be willing as a partner, a friend, even a friend of somebody like that, I don't think I'd be willing to put up with that because I don't know how much you get back other than the glory. It, it really brought it home to me in watching this in particular that it, the tiger who we see early on in the documentary by the time he seems to be winning all of these things, he had literally become a machine. And I don't know how anybody in any aspect of his life is meant to put up with that. Another aspect of this that's really interesting to watch in retrospect in 10 years on was the treatment of the woman he, one of the women, but this was the high profile woman that he was supposed to have had the affair with. And bearing in mind this is only 2010, she was treated appallingly. And just the symbol of, of the, the, temp, the temptress, the woman who lured this squeaky clean man from his marriage and how she was followed. And you hear the paparazzi and you hear the things that they call her and the way they comment on her as she's walking down the street. We, we hadn't come on any bit since the days of Monica Lewinsky of how we treat these women how they're just symbolized as these temptresses it was really appalling a real eye-opener again will we ever learn do we ever move on from that uh but very very interesting but a really interesting study of ambition and how ambition can take everything from you when you are focused on just getting one thing. 
So funnily enough, one of the podcasts that I have talked about this week is um, it's actually a podcast and an Instagram page rolled into one. It's Mogadat Slow Mo podcast. Um, Mogadat was the chief business officer for Google X, a phenomenally successful person in his own right, as you would be if holding that role. Uh, he is originally from Egypt. He um, had parents with very, very healthy um, ambitions for him. Healthy? Yeah, they, they seem to be healthy, um, but in a very ambitious person. But he has made it a life mission to write a formula for happiness, just as you would write a formula for, I don't know, uh, an, an app or something like that. There's There should be an algorithm that we should be able to process it through life. And the happiness equation is, and bear with me, I'm somebody who finds it difficult to follow uh, an Excel sheet. So uh, the equation is your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should behave. And it's really interesting because as well as listening to this and watching the Tiger documentary about ambition and uh, reading about ambition and seeing being in just seeing people who can have goals and ambitions and achieve them and where things get lost and where you find other things through do, going down that route of ambition, but how you sometimes can lose yourself. And sometimes what you can lose is a little bit of happiness. And I've just been studying and reading about um, maximizers and satisfiers, people who constantly look to build on what they have already achieved. And those who can be satisfiers, who can have an ambition, may not achieve it, but learn how to be satisfied at a certain point in life. And the studies that show that those who are maximizers and those who are satisfiers, when we see the happiness, it is always those who are satisfiers who can actually achieve genuine happiness, as in within satisfaction. But to go back to Mo's podcast, he is an amazing person, not just for his achievements, he, um, but how he seeks happiness within that and within that equation. He is not somebody who has just breezed through life. And that's the important thing. And that's probably the fascinating thing about him. Yes, he was um, the chief business officer for Google X. He said at one point in his life, he had six cars in his garage. Um, but life has thrown a hell of a lot of curveballs at him as well. Most of all, his um, adored son, Ali, was just, I think, I think he was just 19 or 20 when he went in for a routine operation and died. And it is really through that that Mo has decided to apply this equation to life. You make a choice of happiness. You make a decision on whether or not the grief can take over your life and the grief lives with you. But you also have to make a decision on whether or not you choose to carry that grief that can take over you for the next however many years you are going to live or whether you choose 
happiness, but also choose to learn what you have learned from that grief. And that's very much and what Mo has has done and achieved. But he also talks about, and a bit, if this is going back to Julia Samuels, who I've spoken about in previous podcasts, how you actually work on happiness like you do fitness and how you constantly work with your brain to decide on what makes you happy to have goals but also to find out what how at what point you can be satisfied and what point you choose to be satisfied so the podcast is called slow-mo he interviews everybody from people i've mentioned here in the past ruby wax alanda boutin uh elizabeth day um huge range of people but he also does it He's an interesting way of recording these podcasts. Not all of them, but some of them are actually from Instagram Lives so that he just directly records and puts onto a podcast. So you can actually choose to watch his guests. He has saved some of them on his IGTV. So follow him on Instagram if you want to get notification of the lives that come up. But he also records them on podcasts. So you can also uh, listen to those while you're heading for a walk or whatever. The next, I did say that I was delving into people's lives. Um, the next uh, documentary I watched again on OTV, it is proving a gem this week, uh, is, look, It's everybody's talking about it. I'm sure you've already seen it. It's uh, Framing Britney, the New York Times documentary on Britney Spears. Uh, it, you know what? It was interesting to watch this after watching the Tiger Woods documentary, because they are both came from the same era in many ways. And they both came from very different parents, but parents who were incredibly ambitious for them and set goals and really had their lives mapped out in front of them, thanks to their parents. And nobody has paid a higher price than that, than Britney Spears. Um, I think when I was watching this, I think there was a sense of guilt because I think we all felt a little complicit in all of this. I wasn't a Britney fan. I've never had any of her albums. Um, I did buy the magazines that you'd have been in. I mean, Heat magazine would have been around and no doubt uh, Britney's waistline would have been on the cover of that on most um, weeks when that came out I mean it's just ridiculous to think that that was a weekly event monitoring how big or small Britney's waistline was monitoring had Britney lost her virginity had Charlotte Church lost her virginity I mean it was a ridiculous era to grow up and we were all <laughs> we were all immune to it and I don't know how that has affected our psyche let alone Britney's but anyway, to go back to the documentary, it is fascinating to watch, um, to see the paparazzi follow her, um, to see how they intruded into her life, but mainly to see how media dealt with this and commented on it. And from the age of 10, we see Tiger Woods. From the age of two, we see Britney from the age of 10 singing. And it's so important to see because one thing that we've all forgotten about Britney is, is that she's actually a genuine talent. She had a wonderful, powerful voice. 
from the age of 10. And the first question she is asked live on TV, asking 10-year-old Brittany, do you have a boyfriend? And from there, we see it unravel. She is a sex symbol. That is every all she is held up in. And from that, we forget, we extract the fact that she's a phenomenal talent. We extract her as a human and she is just there a product. And this was allowed to happen and this happened in front of our eyes. But what it brings us back to is 2008, where her life really, really went out of control. And we, it was painted as a joke and we see that happen. And I remember, I remember seeing Brittany attack the paparazzi's car shortly after she'd shaved her head. And what we hadn't known at that time was that very paparazzi had followed her to her estranged husband's house who had taken full custody of her children. He had not allowed her to see her children and she had to drive back in the car while the paparazzi was still taking photographs of her in the state in the absolute state and her mother had said at that time that she was probably suffering from postnatal depression. So while all this was played out as big entertainment, this woman was losing everything she knew in life as well as her children and it's just devastating to watch and the guilt that I felt in watching it because we all sat back and commented on it and probably laughed as we saw Graham Norton and uh, Jonathan Ross and everyone use this as part of their monologues on a weekly basis. And we've come far. I mean, I've recently listened to an interview with Graham Norton where he, he has himself said that he finds it very hard to watch um, monologues that he said at that time because you just never say those things now and thank God for it. And we've gone a little bit too far in that he now feels a little bit hard to do any type of monologue. But uh, surely we can create comedy without being cruel and without poking fun at the vulnerable. And we should have seen that. And I think we should have seen just how vulnerable this person was. And I think what was worst of all was watching another documentary which was on YouTube which goes it's it's far longer documentary and it goes far more deep into that when Britney was trying to recover and she came back and did a performance at the MTV Awards Perez Hilton wrote an open letter to her complaining about how fat she was and that she her voice wasn't as powerful as it should be I mean for God's sake are these people meant to recover and this has brought to light a lot of other uh, old interviews and I think we need to be careful I don't want to delve into the world where we just cancel people because they did something back in 2008 and we didn't agree with it I think what we should do is just a little bit of ownership just stand up and say you know what like what Graham Norton did has done you know to say we've moved on from that I, I do regret speaking about people in that way so I'll just say that before I go on to the next part of this but I think it was Sunday, um, an old interview that David Letterman did with Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan was supposed to go to rehab. And I think from some bizarre reason, the judge allowed her, before she went to rehab, the judge said that she would be allowed to participate in um, some publicity for an upcoming movie. 
I mean, the mind boggles. And Lohan's publicist, because because let's let take make everybody take responsibility. Lohan's publicist agreed for Lohan to go on and go on to David Letterman, which we know is just a roast for celebrities. And uh, he proceeded to uh, just tear strips of her. And she, there was a certain point where she would have agreed to part of this, but was, was she in a position to agree to go on to a show like this? But what I found most shocking of all is that Letterman himself is sober for 34 years. He knows how vulnerable you are before and for a long time after you go into rehab. So I just thought on his, at his point in life, I think he should have taken stock. And we've all seen him now with the big white beard and long hair and he's a father himself. Now he became a father, I think, for the first time at 64 and he seems to be a more mellow person and he doesn't like poking fun at people. And that's brilliant. And thank God for that. But I think we can all learn, look back, because as well, when he was making all those jokes about Lindsay Lohan, a lot of us were laughing. So I think it's time for us all to take stock and take us, you know, for us all to take a step back from just how we judge people in public. And we're all the media now because we all have social media. So I think before we at somebody or hashtag somebody, just take time to think that somebody's at the receiving end of that that's the lecture over wasn't planning on a whole lecture jesus sorry um i'll go on to another podcast <laughs> god it wasn't meant to go that wasn't meant to be a lecture but you know what i mean you know where i'm coming from anyway um hillary clinton is back with her podcast you and me both and she opens with uh the amazing Amanda Gorman and Amanda speaks openly and she goes back into the fact that Amanda had and I mentioned this in the last podcast that Amanda had severe speech impediment but she tells a very funny story about uh, her twin sister who uh, literally became her translator because they had a secret language and Amanda used to like speaking in public so when a, a waitress or a waiter would come down her sister would order for her through their secret language so it's very funny and it's very endearing and it's just another insight into the phenomenal Amanda Gorman. Um, something else I'm going to talk about it's actually a website and because we're all stuck at home and we're not getting theatre and we're not being able to see public events so Fame Productions there um, it's an evening with kind of thing where you would usually go to see uh, Stephen Fry or somebody like that um, in a, at an event. But thankfully, we don't have to go. We can stay in the luxury of our own home. Well, luxury. Anyway, whatever your home is. Your, it's all our castle, isn't it? But um, they have fantastic events. And coming up, they have Maggie Smith in conversation with Kathleen Turner. Uh, there's Tracy Thorne, Joanna Lumley, Fran Leverovich. Uh, there's a masterclass with Jay Rayner where he talks about how you um, can write a, a column. Uh, just phenomenal insight. And it's just, it's I think they're everything from about £10 to about £25. But the, you can get involved in the events. And if you become a member, I think there's also a healthy discount in their fee as well. So, uh, so that's it. Yeah, I didn't mean that to be a whole lecture. But uh, I will leave the 
notes in the show notes with all links provided and um, also where to follow me on Instagram and Twitter and if you want to get in touch through Instagram and Twitter please do I'd love to hear from you and also um, I have an email there as well if you want a longer format because this turned out to be a longer show than I had initially planned so thank you very much for your time